hey, it's Friday. I think we made it. <laughs> it's like halfway through Friday for normal people, but it's Friday morning for me. Um, your host, Heather Larson, uh, Fearless Five Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I decided today to just throw out the intro and outro that's pre-recorded and just go a little off the cuff um, rather than have an intro and outro. I am really congested today from my allergies, which are up and down, and I got one of those apps about the pollen forecast, so I'm pretty sure it's Elm. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Is there a magic pill for Elm allergies? Does anybody know? Um, So anyway, um, it's Friday. I let myself sleep until 10 o'clock, and I I think the coffee has sufficiently kicked in to where I can make sentences now and make a podcast, so let's do this. Uh, Left you yesterday. We we talked about... What did we talk about yesterday? I'm I'm so tired on Fridays. It's every week feels like a month. So, you know, we talked about the the quote-unquote gift uh, of, of time. Maybe it's a curse. I don't know. I'm just sitting here like, what do I do with my weekend? Trapped at home. Um, I thought maybe I could do like a virtual yoga retreat this weekend and block off like a three-hour time frame to meditate, do yoga, I don't know, <laughs> body work, Reiki, whatever, and like put the phone on do not disturb. But, you know, then then what happens if there's breaking news and my phone is on do not disturb? I don't know. So we'll, we'll see if I can unplug uh, this weekend. So... Fearless Five podcast, supposed to be five minutes, never is. It's the running joke here at the podcast. So I wanted to talk today about being broadsided. So I've mentioned the first few weeks of the pandemic was like going rapid cycling through every stage of grief without even realizing it until it was over. And then I felt better for like two days. And then last Wednesday, I was broadsided. Didn't see it coming. Didn't expect the emotional pain that it would cause. So as someone who grew up in a family that was not emotionally intelligent, that didn't welcome or know how to healthfully process emotions, I am still at my age, which is not very you know young and ripe, I'm absolutely shocked still at the strength of some of my emotions. And I'm nearly seven years sober now, still a newcomer to emotions sometimes. Um, and if you're newly sober, or man, I feel for you, especially if you're newly sober with the pandemic going on, you may not have all the, the coping skills um, you require to get through this. So, you know, take a look at that. But um, I couldn't imagine being newly sober right now because here I am having like mountains of emotions, <laughs> nearly seven years sober. Um, and that's still shocking sometimes. So last week, this experience happened that just stopped me, pained me, opened me up to, you know, possibilities that I never imagined might even come true for me. So it was hugely emotional. And this was all because of this godforsaken pandemic of COVID-19 that we were going through. So, which is just weirder every day. Um, so I saw some idiot online, imagine that, sharing, you know, misinformation. <laughs> There's a lot of that lately. Um God, please Google this stuff before you click the share button. Before you even believe it, please like Google it, research it, learn how to vet information, please. But anyway, I saw an idiot um, in our CJD Facebook group. I don't know. What is it called? CJD family or something. So CJD is Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. It runs in my family. It's genetic. We've lost three people. I've confirmed it's genetic. I know the genetic mutation and everything. This has gone on for 16 years now. Like it's nothing new, but... 
honestly, in 16 years, nothing has really changed, um, which I'll get into. So somebody who is being stupid got into our CJD, you know, Facebook group that, you know, those of us who've lost family members to CJD, we were, we were suddenly, um, this woman, um, she said, oh, we're all allowed to donate blood now. Those of us who've lost, you know, family members to CJD, we're suddenly, you know, allowed to donate blood because there's a blood shortage. You know, and I hadn't heard this, you know, that this common Karen bitch, you know, had not cited a source. She just stepped on into the group and started spewing bullshit. So I asked common Karen if this was, you know, are you talking about the United States here? Like, where are you? Because it's a worldwide group. Um, And so common Karen said, yes, it's true. In the U.S. we can donate blood. Like, again, like she doubled down on her ignorance, not citing any source. And she was getting everybody worked up over the misinformation she was sharing, which is harming people. It's a microaggression. It's not cool. So instead of participating, you know, I did what any journalist would do, uh, what any thinking person should be doing. You don't have to be a journalist to check whether information's true or not. Let me just put that out there. Um, So I called the Red Cross right then and there to ask a living, breathing, qualified human being if this was true. Of course, it was not true. So I told this woman that she was wrong, and the post was quickly taken down. Like, I'm sorry, but you you do not need to, one, spread misinformation, medical misinformation that can harm a lot of people uh, during a pandemic. Um, because honestly, my biggest concern in the moment was, you know, some idiot's going to think suddenly, you know, they could give blood and they're going to go down to the Red Cross, which is not something you should do. You should call before you go anywhere at this point in time. You're supposed to call the Red Cross before you go down there. Like you need to make an appointment to give blood. They don't want you just walking up. They want to screen you on the phone. But anyway, you know, Everyone in my, including myself, totally triggered by it. You mean after 16 years, I can suddenly give blood? Hugely emotional. Did not think that this would ever be emotional. I don't know. The harm was still done, you know, to me and a lot of people. You know, for 16 years, donating blood, not even a possibility in my life. I've actually never done it except uh, once I actually did donate blood to the Red Cross for research purposes so they could use my blood to help, um, you know, create markers um, to help protect the blood blood supply because I am somebody from a a lineage of of people who have um, died of CJD and I don't know if I'm positive or negative, but I have lost three family members to CJD. I've blogged about it. I've got like two different blogs, you know, that have been up over the last 16 years. I've gone to UCSF to offer myself up for research. I've signed up to take part in the very few research studies that are planned here in the U.S., um, which are one of them still years away. They haven't even called me back. <laughs> I'm in the database though. And this has been unfortunately a big part of my life since 2004. I did not expect the amount of emotion though that welled up um, over even the fake possibility that I could have been able to give blood. And then, it, you know, I mean, I was in tears, you guys. I was like, oh my God, like, am I allowed to give blood? Should I? You know, what if I was able to donate blood now? Would I do it? I can't ethically do this. Like, I can't do this because I don't know, again, my genetic mutation. If I knew my genetic mutation was negative, I would be okay um, with donating blood if they decided to let CJD family members donate blood. You know, but what if we really are so short on blood in this country that it's actually more ethical for me to donate whether I know I'm positive or negative? You know, what What if our blood supply is that short? That's a little scary too. Um, 
sign of the times, right? So what if this is a huge mistake? Also, you know, allowing people like me to donate blood all of a sudden, like, are we that relaxed? I never thought in my life this would even be a question. I never thought that I would live to see it this day where they're even kicking around the idea. This is huge. The fact that they're even kicking around the idea, like they, they, what they did relax, what the Red Cross did relax and the FDA, I should say, what they did relax was that, you know, people who've been to the UK um, during the 90s, you know, people who may have been exposed to the quote unquote BSE outbreak back then, um, they would be allowed to give blood, which is huge in itself. We have been working to protect the blood supply from people who could infect everyone else with the highly infectious prion protein of, you know, prion diseases like CJD. We've been working for ages, um, to, to 16 years for me personally, we've been working for a long time to protect the blood supply. I, you know, my donation, my once in a lifetime donation of five vials of blood to the Red Cross was to protect the blood supply. Um, because I figured whether any of us know that I'm positive or negative for the genetic mutation or not, I'm either in the control group or, or not, um, but they can use my blood to help create, you know, markers, you know, to test the blood supply for for something like an infectious prion, which, you know, that would blow COVID-19 out of the water. But it brought up a lot of emotions. It brought up a lot of pain, old pain. Um, that probably was, you know, stuffed 16 years ago. Cause again, when my mother died, I, I'd come from this, this emotionally stunted family and place and, and this, this family that was very into alcoholism and, and abuse and emotional abuse and unconscious abuse and, and just really unhealthy patterns. So all of this came up out of nowhere and broadsided me. You know, and I'd already cried last Wednesday because all of this is just so sad and I miss people and it's lonely. And, and But then I had a fresh cry and without enough time to process and get it through my system before going to work, it was just exhausting to go to work that day without having been able, you know, to release the full emotional burden, which you have to do, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally, you know, got to go to work. I'm essential, quote unquote, essential, remember stuffing emotions stuffing emotions just something i hate doing at this point like if i'm feeling an emotion i don't need to stop it and stop down and go to work like i need to get it out um as is the habit now as i've learned through many years of sobriety and therapy i hate stuffing emotions and now it feels unnatural and it was my way of survival as as a child and for many years following childhood i hate stuffing emotions now because i don't need to do it anymore i grew up doing it in an emotion stuffing household and so actually it was mostly a, a household that actually denied and discouraged my emotions so you know as a child learning to survive you stuff you stuff you stuff so by the time i got home that night, having to stuff my emotions to go to work, as we all are doing. Everyone who's an essential worker right now is stuffing emotions while we go, you know, put our work mask on, literally and figuratively, and go work. And I I was just too tired to engage when I got home that night, which is every night now. I'm just so tired. When I get home, I can hardly keep my eyes open. Um, so I ended up sleeping, eating well, and then writing this whole bit here <laughs> to share the next morning, which was over a week ago, 
Um, and it, so it just, it kind of turned into, long story short, a 24-hour affair in which there was emotion, there was a stuffing of emotion, there was some crying, but there was also some stuffing to go to work, come home, ugh, you know, before you know it, 24 hours passes before really dealing with it. And that sucks. Um, and, and maybe you see now what I mean when I say we do not all have 24 hours in a day. We don't. No one does. I had 24 hours of, of just really being unable to deal in, in the healthy way that I'm used to dealing with such an emotional outburst. Uh, outburst. Um, so, you know, we're all doing the best we can right now with what we have each day. And that is not much in most cases. Um, and if you took a few minutes to cry today, good for you. That is excellent. If you're able to let out any emotion at all, then you are taking care of yourself. And I know it's hard, especially if you're the parent who's working at home with children that you're suddenly having to educate, you know, or you're just around your children, whether you're, you know, whatever's going on, if you've got people around you that you're quarantined with all the time, it may be harder to take that private moment to just go cry. You know, fortunately, I'm, I am sort of able to do that <laughs> in my home, um, provided I'm not like running out the door to go to work, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of tears, you know, it's got to come out. And after a tough emotional day, like I had last week, you know, I take it easy the next day. It's my attempt at balance. And also I'm so tired after a big emotional processing and I'm not dumb enough to ever think that I'm actually going to find any balance, balance is an illusion, especially right now. Does anybody even know what day it is? But <laughs> I can try to pull myself a little more together, a little more in balance. And, and this in itself feels like a privilege and a luxury right now. Like fifth day in a row working feels like I've been working for a year straight and <laughs> need a break so badly. I can't even function now on Friday mornings. I sleep in so late. <laughs> My allergies are so bad right now. <clears throat> and uh, don't worry, it's not the Rona. Um, it's just Midwestern problems in April. Like, we had thunderstorms last night. This morning we woke up. It was freezing. Like, <laughs> it's just the randomness of the Midwest. So this is just my reminder to you to give yourself some grace today, you know. Those of us who are working are who are considered essential are exhausted. Um, I, and I feel like there's people out there who are essential workers who are above and beyond what I'm doing. You know, yeah, I'm a journalist and bringing you information. I'm part of the emergency alert system, whatever. Um, and it's hard work and we're not taking much of lunch breaks. You know, we're, we're constantly working. Um, but it's nothing compared to somebody right now who's stuck in the grocery store shelves and dealing with the onslaught of, of weirdness in person. See, we just, we get it. We get constant phone calls and emails from people who probably need their phone and email privileges taken away because it's just so abusive. Um, but those of you who have to deal with the public in person, um, I really feel for you. Um, like two weeks ago, I went to pick up a curbside order of ice cream and the the ice cream guy, like, it was just not a, a normal interaction. Like, I almost felt bad that I'd exposed him to myself because I, I, how many people does that guy have to deal with in a day? But I know people want to work and make money and we have to. And and it's just human interactions now are so awkward, even with my neighbors. Um, you know, we we 
we keep our distance and it's so awkward and it's like, Hey, how are you? And I, I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, I'm still working. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just so not normal anyway. Um, so we all have to give ourselves, you know, some grace. Oh my God. And some understanding. And if my God, if you're a first responder, you know, obviously I'm, I'm hearing the scanner for like nine hours a day and, and hearing what our EMTs are doing. And it's, I would not want that job. I would not want to be in healthcare or social work right now. You know, like it used to be, I feel like I got out in the nick of time. Um, and the reason why I left was because my immune system was so shot last summer. Um, so like, I, I'm happy to be where I'm at and I realize that I have it pretty good and I don't, I don't know how some of you guys do it who are working in a hospital right now or, you know, driving an ambulance, you know, I want to give you guys some grace, you know, and give everybody some grace. Um, the tensions are so high and people are lashing out so much. Like some guy called, um, to complain (laughs) about something random and, and he, oh, he was complaining about his, his PayPal account being frozen. And I don't know who, everybody wants somebody to blame right now for this pandemic or, you know, the lack of stimulus check or not being able to get through to the unemployment office. Like everybody wants something, somebody to blame and, and you're just taking it out on like me <laughs> or whoever you come across. I've heard people are being rude to one another in grocery stores and people are being rude to grocery store workers and, and it's just not okay. And don't call up your friendly neighborhood <laughs> radio TV station newspaper and, and tell the journalists there that they're fucked because your PayPal account is, is, I mean, frozen. Like, here's the thing. Grow up. There's nobody to blame for all this. Keep the politics out of it. This is happening. It happened. I don't give a shit whose fault it is at this point. Who cares? We'll figure that out later. It might take five years. If we all live, I don't know. But who gives a shit whose fault the pandemic is or whose fault unemployment is or whose fault anything is? Who cares? Let's let's move on and, and fix this thing and keep up the physical and social distancing, whichever you want to call it. Because um, there's a lot of talk about reopening the country and that might be a mistake. <laughs> it just I don't know how else to say it. it I don't, it's not a matter of opinion. It's scientifically supported. And then there's like... Uh, Fauci the other day, I see him on TV. Um, I can't remember who he was talking to or where I saw him, but he was saying, you know, that we don't know that there's going to be a second wave. There could be, it's certainly a possibility, but we don't know. Yet I've seen a lot of people out there saying, you know, like they already believe we're going to have a second wave, you know, and, and I don't know if we are or if we're not. Um, but can we all just, you know, maybe pull together and uh, get through this and, and figure out from this way forward, what the new world's going to look like. Everybody's talking about a return to normal or the new normal or, you know, was normal really that good? Because uh, I think the thing that this thing has exposed is that everybody was kind of on thin ice, paycheck to paycheck, didn't have anything saved. Nobody was ready for something like this. You know, where are we at a, as a society that this is how we were living? Everybody was hanging by a thread. And like, what what was the deal in this, this you know, in this world or in this country? Like, is, was everything so fragile? You know, was everything an illusion to begin with? I don't know. Ooh, we're going to get deep now. Now the podcast is way too long. <laughs> so, you know, where do we go from here? I would love to see... Uh, you know, if, if we are going to insist upon having government, uh, it seems to me like everybody's running to the government for help. So I guess we need a government that can take care of its people. 
I don't see a government that could take care of its people right now. So do we go government less because they can't handle us anyway? What do, what do we do, folks? I don't know. Um, but do we, do we just make sure that everybody can be medically taken care of in this country and, and financially and educationally? Because the fact that we even had a debate about whether this was a serious issue or not, you know, a month or so ago, we had people denying science, you know, the, the, the flat earthers, so to speak, of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, your Dr. Drew, your Dr. Phil, your Dr. Oz, people like that. Um, the fact that, you know, those people exist on any level, whether they're rich and famous or not, shows me that we, we've, we've definitely let two things in this country lapse, the quality of our health care and the quality of our education so that's my suggestion for the two, you know, areas that we all need to get a little bit better at. People need to get better at understanding information and whether it's real or true or not. And people need medical care. Oh, my God. Like, I took a call to our newsroom last night of a, of a lady saying that she's received an astronomical bill for being treated for COVID-19 and had no health care. You know, and part of this thing is like, what day did she get sick? <laughs> did she get sick before or after the CARES Act? You know, were you, were you, did you get sick before they opened up the healthcare marketplace again? Did you get sick before the CARES Act passed? Like, were you covered or not? Like, what is covered? Nobody knows. Um, there's, there's, there's so much misinformation out there. Um, and the CARES Act is very long and, you know, it's just nobody's going to read it. Uh, like people, people don't read anymore. Um, and we have people that call our newsroom. Uh, clearly they can't read because they're asking us what the weather is or, you know, things that just, if you could read, um, or if you watched a newscast or listened to a newscast or did something or I don't get it. There's a digital divide to people, old people calling up, you know, I don't have a fancy phone. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know. Okay, so when when we see newspapers get shut down, as we're seeing in Burbank, California, you know, where do people get their information? Uh, seems to me like democracy is hanging by a thread. If um, newspapers and start shutting down and there's a digital divide for information and people can't read. Um, and I know this from being a social worker that when people can't read, they don't tell you they can't read. Because there's shame and guilt and embarrassment involved with that. People can hide really well that they can't even read a street sign. Okay. People who can't read are experts at hiding the fact that they can't read. So when you look at this country right now, meaning America, that's where I'm at. Take a look at the misinformation or the weird stuff, the weird conspiracies that, that people believe. There's people spreading things right now about the, the virus being started in a lab in China, um, which scientists have said from the beginning that the DNA or the, is it the RNA or the DNA um, of the virus um, has never shown that it was lab created. It has always shown that it originated from the DNA sequence shows that it originated from a bat transferred to another animal and then transferred to humans. That's science. Why there is suddenly an opinion um, and the great, the great gaslighting that's going on 
I think is what it is. There's suddenly an opinion that um, this isn't happening. It's all China's fault. I think we all know the kind of people that this is coming from. Those people are called politicians. So you have politicians trying to hijack reality and gaslight you over it. So yeah, I've gone off on like a 13-minute tangent here. (laughs) Went from talking about how hard it was to find out that I may or may not be able to suddenly give blood to kind of talking about the pandemic. So yeah, tangent. Um, so for, you know, whoever's listening to this, um, I don't know if you like the, the tangent I'm going off on. Um, but what I'd like to go in the direction of doing now that we've, we've gotten through a few actual podcasts, a few days in a row, which is pretty big for my exhausted ass, uh, is, you know, it is a hard time. The pan, the pandemic is a hard time to put it mildly. Um, and it's not over. I feel like we're only one month into something that could last, um, who knows how long, or we could, we could reopen in a couple weeks and then really screw this up, um, and have this go on for like months and months. So what do we do to survive hard times? Um, obviously I've survived a lot <laughs> as I've alluded to in the blog for years and in the podcast that we, we started this podcast back in August. Um, how do you make it through hard times? That's the question right now. What do you do? Um, this pandemic goes above and beyond anything that I've really been through. You know, I've been through unemployment. I've been through furloughs. I've been through job loss. I've been through underemployment. Last year, I was trying to make it on $250 a week. You know, I was on food stamps. It was, you know, relatively easy for me to call up. It was still time consuming and it still took longer than it should have. But in normal times, I was able to get on food stamps. You know, I was, I knew how to do, you know, food banks and stuff like that. Like I didn't starve. Um, I managed to, you know, keep a roof over my head um, through a lot of help from other people, which, you know, yeah, I've been through these things, but not during a pandemic. So I couldn't imagine navigating it all right now with no money um, and standing in long lines or making 800 phone calls to get through to an unemployment. And, you know, our state here, Kansas, just changed yesterday to where we, you know, if, if we're unemployed, we, we use the, the letter of our last name to call on certain days kind of a thing, you know, like the, like the 70s gas crisis, <laughs> I think. Um, and, and that's just... I didn't have to go through it through this like volume of like so many people to have to go through it with and kind of have to, I don't know, fight or compete to get through for services. So um, friends who are doing that now tell me they're exhausted and it's a full-time job just dealing with DCF and unemployment. And like one, one friend tried to get food stamps yesterday and the only way they can apply, I don't understand, for whatever reason, DCF's got to mail them an application for food stamps, you know, and I'm trying to help as much as I can having been a social worker, you know, parasocial worker, um, here in, in Kansas, um, but it's like the rules have changed and everything's different and I have no answers now because everything's different. So I want to put something together where I'm able to help other people maybe spiritually and emotionally and mentally get through this. Because <laughs> um, I, I, my social work powers have dwindled, you know, like I, I've survived addiction. Maybe I can help you with that. Um, I've survived unemployment, underemployment, um, having no food, nearly being evicted. Like I've survived all those things. You know, that's my point of reference that I can help people with. Um, surviving abuse, surviving, you know, the gaslighting, um, 
you know, these are things that I, I have done. So if these things strike, strike or strike a nerve with you and you're like, yeah, how did you get away from the people who gaslighted you and abused you? Like, how, how did you get away from that? How did you survive that? Like, I want to see what people are most interested in because obviously I can go, <laughs> I can go off on tangents and record a podcast all freaking day. Um, but I want to get, um, something out there that will actually, you know, help you. So I'm kind of thinking that my, my way of helping others right now might be to help you through what I went through last year and many other times. <laughs> um, yeah. So let me know. Uh, destinyarchitecture at gmail.com is the email address and um destinyarchitecture.com is the web address and what else um yeah just go to the, the website and you can you can comment on the blogs or you can send a form to me through there as well or email or whatever twitter is at heather larson instagram at heather larson l-a-r-s-o-n so you know reach out get in touch. Things are changing more rapidly than we can keep up with. So I want to put out like the best, most useful type of, you know, coaching and and Reiki and self-care information that I can for you. So hopefully I'm doing that. Um, And if I'm not, and if I, if I started talking about something today that you were like, oh, I want to know more about that. Just let me know.